Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Doors of Portland. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving West Portland out to Hillsboro, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, we welcome Representative Bill Post. Bill is the self-described most conservative member of the caucus. <laughs> Bill. I have a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean by the most conservative member of the caucus? Well, um, I guess if you just want to use measurements, uh, sitting right over there is a plaque <laughs> that says conservative achievement by the American Conservative Union, and they score all the legislators every long session. And I have a lifetime score of 95, and I got 100% that particular year. I really screwed up this year and only got a 95%. I, I don't know. I'm falling off the what map was your, What was your, your yeah. 5% What liberal? was the 5%? I got to know. So what they do is is they choose, I don't know, 15, 20, 30, 40 bills that they think you should vote yes or no on. And then based on your yes or no vote, they, they just mm-hmm. score it. And I voted yes on two bills that were for police in, in Oregon for the unions, the police unions, actually. Mm-hmm. Long before all this now that's going on with all that's going on, right? This was in 2019. And I voted yes on a couple of bills that only six Republicans voted no on. Hmm. And, mm. you know, whatever. I, I, I'm shirking my duties. <laughs> did did one of those six end up out-conservating you? Did somebody yes. get a 96? Who was no, it? No, more than 96. Mike Nierman and Werner Reschke got 100s for the wow. 2019 session. I got a 95. Greg Barreto got a 95. And Dennis Linthicum got a 95. Well, we should just pack up the mics. We should just go get Werner Reschke on the episode, I, I guess. So with that sort of uh, <laughs> cold intro, sorry about that. Cool. Um, I was well, wondering yeah. if you could give us a, just a little a little two minute bio of who you are and and how you got here. You've been elected for how many terms now? Um, I am finishing this year my third term. Wow. So I was first elected in November of 2014. Came into the building in, in 2015. Uh, you know, I <clears throat> 40 plus year history of being in the broadcast business. I did a couple other things here and there because when you're in the radio business, you spend more time, uh, what we call on the beach, which is not a good place to be. That means you're out of work. Mm. You spend more time out of work than you are in work. So I, I did a few things now and then, but, um, it really came down to, I was doing the show, the Bill Post radio show back in 2014 and Kim Thatcher, who was the state rep that I'm, that's my seat in mm-hmm. House District 25. She was the state rep and she was my guest every Thursday, Thursdays with Thatcher. And on the air, live and direct, she just came out and said, I'm running for the Senate for Larry George's Senate seat. Uh, would you consider running for the House seat? And I went, <laughs> 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 you want me to do what you do and not make any money? 
and and now I'm famous and I make lots of money and I play a lot of golf and you want me to do what you do? Are you out of your mind? And she said this, and I'll never forget it. She said, you've been calling us whores and thieves for years and years and years. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Boom. Mm. (laughs) Gut check. And I I went home that day to my wife, told her, I think I got to do this. And I did. And this is a pretty conservative district. So you had a, do you have a tough primary fight that first time and then sort of cruise through the general? Yeah. Um, She'll forever thank me for reminding her, Julie Parrish ran a campaign against me. Oh. (laughs) She was in the house at that time and uh, was not thrilled with getting the right wing nut job radio guy. (laughs) And she ran a candidate against me. I won't say who it was. Um, I, I defeated her 78-22. I think she got 700 votes, something like mm. that. It was pretty humiliating. And then I destroyed the guy in the general. In and the general, yeah. Whatever. But, you know, my district has changed a lot, though. In 2012, when Kim last ran, it was a 12.9 R to D edge. Mm-hmm. When I ran in my first time, it was 9.9. My second time, it was 8.8. My third time, it was 6.8. Right now, as we sit here, it's 4.8. Wow. So it is officially a swing district. Wow. Well, that's kind of the opposite of mine is I, I cruised through the primary and <laughs> have a slightly harder time just, just a in the bit. general. Um, can I ask? I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that that was, uh, Senator Thatcher's district. I, so she's obviously running for secretary of state. Yeah. What, um, so we're, I think we're all comfortable saying that, well, you know, we're going to support her over Shmia Fagan. What, what do you think makes a good secretary of state? You know, Dennis did it. He, 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 he made the mold and he broke the mold in so mm-hmm. many ways. I think Dennis Richardson did everything the way it should be. You know, I would like it to see, it uh, to be a nonpartisan seat. Mm-hmm. I really would. I'd like it to, the, the, the R and the D to go away. Um, it's going to take somebody like a Dennis Richardson or hopefully a Kim Thatcher who will step up and, and maybe after winning, maybe we can work something out. I don't know if that's got to be done through the legislature or, or mm-hmm. what, but let's make it a nonpartisan seat be- because it's about elections and auditing. Mm-hmm. And it's not about, you know, Shamia Fagan's running on a campaign of, I, 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 I made abortion rights better in Oregon. Well, what's that have to do with the Secretary of State? Mm-hmm. I don't care. Nothing so, to do with anything. And and on the other hand, Kim Thatcher could get up and say, yeah, but I protected your Second Amendment rights. What's that got to do with the, sec- the Secretary of State's rights? Mm-hmm. So to me, it should be elections, audits, and fraud. You know, yeah. That's it. Well, to be fair, the Portland City Council is all nonpartisan. So, and yeah. they they are definitely not nonpartisan. No, that's so, true. Anyway. As are almost I'm, every city council and... Uh, some of the county commissioners, I'm learning which counties are, are partisan and which ones mm-hmm. aren't. In my district, I have Yamhill County and Marion County. Marion County is partisan. Yamhill County is nonpartisan. Hmm. But everybody knows who everybody is, kind of, right. sort of. Right, right, right. Well, and even, I, I mean, for us, I had a lot of conversations with friends. And I, this is way away from the House of Representatives or District 25 or anything. But Dan Ryan and Loretta Smith just had a primary two weeks ago. And I, I talked with a lot of conservatives in Portland who were just like, who should we vote for? Like, they're both liberals. They're both going to be against ideologically a lot of the things that we're for, but who's going to actually be better for the city? And I think when you have a nonpartisan election, you get a lot less away from, you know, who's more pro-abortion rights, who's more raise taxes on the rich, and you get more of who can competently manage some of the issues that a secretary of state faces, yeah. which don't really have anything to do with abortion or taxes or anything. Nope. Yeah, it's really too bad that... uh Secretary Richardson passed. Who was? Oh. Everything I've heard has been yeah. such a 
Yeah, guys. He was, you know what, for for me, um, when I was doing my show, he was a regular guest and he he was so brilliant, Hmm. just brilliant, almost boringly brilliant, you know, that kind of thing where he's (laughs) Mm -hmm. a borderline, like, okay, Dennis, you're losing me now. But uh, most of the time he was just, he would bring this incredible information, like, I I didn't know that. And he knew everything about the Constitution, Hmm. the Oregon Constitution, every every little rule and procedure and everything. He was brilliant. And when he won, I, I just... Uh, yeah. And then when we lost him, I'll never forget being down in that rotunda, um, the, the our caucus surrounding his casket. And uh, it was really hard. It was really hard. It makes gives me hope that a good candidate can win regardless of being a, an R in a D state, you know, statewide. Um, I mean, we Nick and I met on the Bueller campaign and were really disappointed, you know, when he lost governor. And it's always just kind of like. Well, there's just so many more Democrats and, you know, you have to win 60, 70, 80 percent of the non-affiliates. And then and that's the only way you win in Oregon. But um, Richardson managed to manage to thread that needle and be, probably because he was absolutely the best candidate for the job. And regardless of uh, any of ideology, the wing that, which is always well, helpful. <laughs> everybody always brings that up. And, yeah. and OK, but you know, Dennis, everybody knew. That Dennis was one of the most conservative mm-hmm. Republicans in this building. Everybody knew he was ardently pro-life. Everybody knew he was anti-tax. I mean, they knew that, but mm-hmm. it didn't come up in that race, except when Brad Avakian brought it up. Right. And Dennis would just pivot to, well, what's that got to do with the Secretary of State job? Yeah. <laughs> so, a fair but everybody question. knew yeah. what he was. So, you know, a true conservative can win in Oregon. And you go back to Newt Bueller in 2018. You know, I've, I've crunched the numbers so many times it's made me sick. 133,000 registered eligible Republicans got a ballot and didn't turn them in in 2018. 133,000. Newt lost by 119. So I'll push back a little bit on that. Uh, I, I did trunch the same numbers and Republican turnout was actually higher than it was four years prior. Yes. Yeah. But the amount of ballots though was still 130, it was 132,258, I believe was the exact number. Sure. Didn't turn in a ballot. But, but it, I mean, same thing you could say for the same thing for the Democrats, a hundred and some odd thousand didn't turn them in either. I know. They don't have as much at stake as we do. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I <laughs> we got think Kate. they might, they might disagree. I think this yeah. was, well, I think that was. My my takeaway was that was a ref, uh, referendum on uh, on Trump. It was yeah. um, it was because the the Democrat turnout was I think five or six percent higher than it was four years prior, yeah. and Republican turnout was two or three percent higher. And so typically in typical years, Republican turnout is two or three percent higher than Democrats, and this time it was two or three high two or three percent lower, just because is not because Republicans didn't turn out, but because Democrats turned out in such incredible numbers. That it just dwarfed anything, and that's that's why we're in this legislative super minority now too, is because we had so much Democrat turnout in 2018. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious because I, I I think that you're I mean you're obviously absolutely right. The data are the data, the numbers are the numbers. If there were 138,000 registered Republicans who received ballots who did not vote, then obviously we we would have wanted all of them for the Bueller campaign. But do you believe a candidate can? When can be sufficiently conservative enough, I guess we might be able to say, to to inspire all 133,000, 138,000 folks to do it without costing any of the votes from registered Democrats or NAVs or independents that Newt presumably got. You know, I go back again just to, to look back at history a little bit, recent history, 2010, Chris Dudley. 
mm-hmm. almost pulled it off. And that was before all the controversy that John Kitzhaber ended up in 2015 getting into, which sadly, if they had the media had reported that stuff when it came out, yeah. Dennis Richardson would have been our governor. But anyway, uh, Chris Dudley had the formula. The formula is you got to win 80% of the Republican Party and you need to win 34% of Multnomah County, period. Mm-hmm. I think he got 32%, if I remember right. It was that close. And I had him on my show in September of that year, Chris Dudley. And I'll never forget, I had him on live and I said, Chris, I got an idea for you. A lot of low information voters up in Portland. Republicans and Democrats <laughs> both, all of them. Okay. You're a trailblazer, former trailblazer. I watched you play. You put your old uniform on. You get a basketball, you stand down on 82nd and Burnside or whatever the heck it is, and you dribble your ball and wave at people and they'll vote for you. And he hung up. <laughs> and he wouldn't talk to me for a month. And I said, I wasn't trying to insult you. I was trying to help you. Yeah, I thought that would work. Yeah. And you know what? It would have worked. It probably would have. Yeah. So, and I'd be curious for your thoughts on this one too, because I think 2018 and the Bueller campaign was a particularly bad year nationally for Republicans. I think 2010, when Chris Dudley ran, was a particularly good year for Republicans. And so I'd I'd wonder how much does, I guess, the national sentiment, if that's what we'd want to call it, how much does the national sentiment kind of trickle down into how elections play here? And how do you either combat that or lean into that, depending on how the year is going? Um, you're absolutely right. 2010 was, was a miraculous year. We won six seats in the house and tied it up 30, 30. Um, there were seats that nobody thought anybody was going to win that we won. Mm-hmm. I, obviously I wasn't here at that time, but I followed it very closely. Um, in 2018, look, they painted Julie Parrish as, as Donald Trump. They mm-hmm. painted, uh, Jeff Helfrich from Hood River as Donald Trump. They painted Rich Vile as Donald Trump. Rich Vile said on the House floor how he couldn't stand Donald yeah. Trump. So, I mean, it, it, they just painted everybody with Donald Trump. This is, and, and it won. 2020s is going to be the same way. It's oh, yeah. Orange Man bad. R is Orange Man. And that's it. That's all they have to do. The to only difference win I'll tell you in 2020 is we have our pinata this year. And that mm. is Kate Brown and pick the Democrat. Kate Brown and it's polling well. It's showing well. It's everywhere we go. In every district we do, Kate Brown and Representative Blank hmm. closed down Oregon, kept your kid out of school, won't let your kid play football. All you got to do is tie it to Kate Brown, and we're going to make her the boat anchor of the Democrats. Interesting. You know, and that's funny because I, there's so many different initiatives. I think we're on the third or the fourth one to recall Kate Brown. And I, I mean, I worked on Newt's campaign. I've never signed one of those things because I don't, I don't like the woman, but I don't think she's done anything unconstitutional that merits actually booting her out of office. Plus, I mean, like you just said, she's such a pinata. There's nobody, nobody in this state likes Kate Brown. And that's all you got to do is just bring that up and just be like, she's the one who's making all these decisions. The mm-hmm. Democrats are the one in the supermajority. You want to be mad at somebody be mad at them and she's term limited out so if we were to recall her then it would probably well i mean there's debate on this but might go to tobias reed and then we're running against an incumbent in two years so yeah i'm with you i I signed it but i'm definitely not putting a lot of energy into that sorry bill courier if you're listening (laughs) no and i did you know what bill knows i'm the same way i signed it my wife signed it we turned it in i think we filled one sheet with some friends and, and that was it. And yeah. so I wish them all the best. And if it works, it's great. I'll tell you what it will do, though. It will cause chaos. Think about this. If they were to get, it, what is it, Monday of next week, whatever, yeah. whenever it is, if they were to get enough signatures, 
the election, the special election that would be held, would be about the second Tuesday of October. Now, what happens a week after that? The ballots drop ballots from drop. the general election. Yeah. Yeah. So now you have conflict with people. What's this ballot for? Why am I getting a second ballot? I don't understand. Why? What? I just did hmm. this. What? And then the most important thing, Kate Brown has over $2 million in her war chest. She has to spend it, doesn't she? You got to spend she it down. She sucks yeah. every bit of airtime off of TV. And what? If you're a House Democrat or a Senate Democrat or a Secretary of State yeah. candidate, where are you going to buy TV ads? Kate yeah, will be sucking now. the whole airwaves yeah. down. I love it. I think That's it'll good. be awesome chaos. <laughs> Interesting point. Interesting point. Awesome chaos was my nickname in prison for a couple of years. So that's, <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up. <laughs> well, well, soap was big too. Yeah. <laughs> so I gave you a heads up. I was going to bring this up. But when uh, we were first talking about asking you to come on the show, you said you would come on if I agreed to vote for Trump. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, I said, I said, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to uh, to plead your case. Why, why, why Trump? You know, um, after the last four nights, mm-hmm. I'm even more convinced. Really, watching the last four nights, I, I sat. Look, I've I am a junkie on politics. I've watched. I told my wife last night, I'll never forget the 1972. Republican convention when for the first time in my life, I'd heard the chant more, four more years, four more years for Richard Nixon. Now I didn't know anything about, I was 11 years old. I didn't know anything about Richard Nixon or Hubert Humphrey or whoever. I didn't know any of the, I just thought that was really cool. Four more years, four more years. None of the conventions and I have attended 08, the 12 and the 16 Republican national conventions, either as a delegate or as a radio broadcaster, not one has even come close to the excitement that the last four nights had. Hmm. I, I was blown away. I don't know who their production guy is, but he, he should get a million dollars. It was incredible. And then just last night pointing out what will happen if Joe Biden were to win in this nation. I think I, I think that's all I need to do to convince anybody. Forget about the guy. Forget about the guy. Think about all that goes with the guy in that what we're going to get. We need another Supreme Court appointee. And, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is in a closet somewhere on oxygen <laughs> right now. They're barely keeping her alive to November 4th. We need to replace her with a conservative. I would say that is the only, that, that is the only good argument that I've heard for, for voting for Trump is that you're voting for Ginsburg's replacement. Um, the rest of it. Well, so, and, uh, you know, I think Donald Trump's had 200 some odd, like federal court, circuit court, uh, appellate court, all yeah. kinds of a lot of different, which is, and honestly, the Supreme Court gets all the airtime, but they, they have a hundred some odd cases a year or something like that. There's all kinds of jurisprudence that comes, comes out of circuit court systems and appellate court systems. I think that he is doing so much damage to the Republican brand. I, th- I think this is Biden's going to win and I think we're going to lose the Senate and it's going to be just issue in another blue wave federally it's going to be blue in oregon forever i think we're going to lose more seats this time around like we're we're, i think it's just a disaster for the republican party another four years of trump is does he bet does he have does he will he play make a bet are we are we going to make a bet i I have i have put twenty (laughs) dollars on joe biden winning not because i want to see joe biden win i just think that that's what's going to happen i think he takes the senate with him frankly but vegas had at uh, trump at uh, like uh, i don't remember what it was the odds last i saw was plus 105 biden minus 125 yeah something like that which is close it's still biden the favorite i'm making some money on trump oh yeah (laughs) that guy's made money for me in the last three years so he'll make more for me well what is it you said nate silver came out and said anecdotally it seems that trump is gaining ground but the polls don't 
don't reflect that. Yeah, we I, we just had this conversation in the car right on the way here. I the polls haven't reflected it yet, but I honestly I said this to some friends this morning, some some Republican friends. I we saw the docket for the conservative, you know, for the RNC this week, and half of it is Trump people, and it's just like, oh God, here we go. And then we saw he's actually going to give his acceptance speech at the White House, and it's like, oh my God, that's Donald Trump. Okay, here we go. And then the Democrats complain that the RNC featured too many black people. And the Democrats complain that they featured too many everyday people. We want to hear from elected officials. We we don't want to hear from everyday people or the, the widow of a firefighter or something like that, which is incredibly out of touch. And then last night, as there we're recording this on Friday the 28th, so last night was the last night of the last RNC. Night, yeah. uh, last night, the, the protesters and rioters and everything were haranguing and yelling at people leaving the convention. They were yelling at Rand Paul, the, oh, yeah. who from Kentucky, where Breonna Taylor was killed. They say her name, say her name. He wrote the Breonna the Taylor Justice Act. And it's yeah. like, are, how how dumb do you guys so, have to be? And the conventions, this is the time of year that people wake up and start paying attention to, mm-hmm. okay, we got this election coming up. I guess I got to decide who I'm going to vote for. You have one party that presents this picture of America as this place of, of hope and opportunity and you have this other side that's rioting and looting and yelling at people and it's if you're an undecided voter and you don't know much about trump you don't know much about biden that's what you see i who do you vote for how many undecided or low information voters are are around in 2020 like it's mm -hmm. it's one thing talking about chris dudley in you know 10 15 however many years ago in oregon but everybody knows trump with social media with i mean i don't i don't know that that's the case and also my other point just because democrats are terrible doesn't make i mean make maybe makes him better like by comparison but like i I still feel like we can be critical of trump without just saying well oh the democrats are worse i mean that's that's kind of the 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 democrat line here in oregon is it is the only the only thing that that um, keeps coming back to me and again from the convention and then from his speech last night as a a person myself who is ardently Mm pro-life not even the great Ronaldus Maximus said some of the things that Donald Trump has said about life. I mean, just blatantly life. And for me, that's, that's a hill I die on because I had to vote on a bill in, in the building that just tore my heart out. House Bill 3391 back in 2017, 2018, whatever year it was. I don't remember where we allowed abortion right up to the last minute of the ninth month and we'll pay for it too. When, when I had to vote no on that and Co, uh, Tina Kotek marched us in here on a Saturday afternoon for one bill, I mean, come on, just to make a point because she knew she had the votes and there was nothing we could do about it. That's a pretty big deal to me. For him to say the things that he said, he sold himself to me. Um, I've never been an- anti-Trump. I've always been like, well, but, you know, he's got some flaws. But I, I, I'm pro-Trump now. So that's actually what I was going to ask because I I had read somewhere that you were a Ted Cruz guy originally in the 2016 yeah. primaries, which I and I, I lived in Texas for ten years. I had met Ted when he was still Solicitor General, and half his campaign staff is friends of mine, people that I went to school with and roommated with in one case and everything like this. So I like I I knew the staff, I knew the team, I knew I still think Ted is the smartest United States senator yeah. there is. Yeah, but I wanted to ask in your case, it's not a I converted. A hundred percent from Ted Cruz to a, you know, diehard mega Trump fan. You're also like, he's the Republican nominee. This, the Republican party stands for 
limited government, lower taxes, and pro-life, and those are the things that you value. So this is where we have to be. Like, which one of those streets, or is it kind of a combination of the two that led you to being uh, as much of a Trump person as you are now? Um, yeah, there was no doubt. Ted Cruz was my guy in the primary of 2016, but of course, Oregon being so late in the game by then, it was over, and so mm-hmm. it was sort of a just a throwaway vote, for lack of a better term. Um, I became a delegate for Trump at the RNC in 2016. In fact, I got the most votes of any delegate in Oregon. And and I told people, I am in behind this guy, not just because he's the party, but because I am behind him. He legitimately won the primary. So I'm behind him. And I like what he has to say. Could I, I wish he was a little more Reagan-esque in his responses. Absolutely. Like we kind of said before you and we all went on here, uh, Reagan would shrug his shoulders and smile and say, well, and then he would give a little funny joke or something. And Trump doesn't seem to have that ability. He'd rather just punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. But you know what? He's a Queens, New York businessman. That's the way they all talk out there. I've been there. That's the way they talk. They punch each other in the face. And then they have a cup, a cup of coffee afterwards. It's just the way it is. It's the way of life. And, and we don't understand that when we're in politics. Oh, no, we're supposed to be statesmen. Who says? Who made that book and said, you have to be a statesman? If I ever, when I die, if they write statesman on my thing, I'm going to come back to life and I'm going to, I'm going to take somebody out. <laughs> I am not a statesman. I hate that term. I'm well, Bill. Well, so every organization takes on the character of its leader, whether that's the country or the state or the, you know, when I was in the army, you know, you had companies that followed the the company commander and I feel like what Trump does is his goal from the beginning has been 50% plus one. He has never been a unifier. He's never reached out to the left. He's never tried to be the president of all of America. He was trying to be president of half of America plus one vote. And I think we're seeing that now sort of, I mean, it's been, it's been boiling up for four years. And this is my, probably one of my biggest concerns with Trump is just the divisiveness. And, you know, maybe he doesn't come out and, a lot of what he says is dog whistles and tongue in cheek and sort of like half statements that, but just, just look around at the, I don't think I've, again, a sort of a only 35, but I have not experienced the divisiveness that is in the country right now. And I can't help but say that this is Trump's fault. And a lot of it is on racial lines. It's on um, gender lines. And I am tired of being in a country that is this divided. And I don't like Biden. I don't like Trump. I wish I could vote for a third person and actually make it matter. But I guess I probably have to pick one of the two. Um, but I'm just I'm just so sick of and, and it's being called a racist just because I'm a Republican and being yeah. called names. And like, I want to have discussions about I was talking to this about uh, Representative Drazen the other day. I was like, I want to have discussions about the size of government and the role of government in our lives. And now those are discussions I want to have. I'm tired of it always devolving into like having to de- defend myself and why I'm not a racist, even though I'm a Republican and I am in the, in the same party as Trump. But that was long before Donald Trump. Trust me. It was way back when that guy was there, when Vicatia was governor of Oregon. It has always been that way in Oregon, as long as I can remember. The thing that people forget about that maybe are old timers from the legislature that I hear the stories of is how, you know, we used to get along really well down on the House floor. And we would go in the back and have a drink together and we'd hammer out a bill together. That's because Oregon was a very moderate state. 
You know, you remember when, I'm not going to say his name, one fellow ran for governor on Make Oregon Great Again? (laughs) And I said to him every time I talked to him, I'd say, Oregon is great now. What's not great about it? It's a great state. It's never been what you want it to be, which is a super hyper conservative state. It's never been. Vicatia wasn't conservative. Tom McCall, or excuse me, uh, Mark Hadfield was not. Holy cow, he voted against Vietnam. I mean, not that I'm saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying he broke from his party. Right. We have never, if you go back in the history of Oregon and look, have ever had a conservative leadership in the Republican Party. Never. So I've been called racist my whole life of being in Oregon because I'm a Republican. So I, no, I, it's who's, who's doing the dividing. I'm told I'm a racist and I'm anti, uh, LGBTQIA because I'm white and a Republican. These people call me names all the time. How come nobody calls them names? Well, so I honestly, uh, James, I'd push back on your opinion a little bit. I, you know, if Donald Trump, he is the way he is and the country's become more divided, that to me is like saying, the the parents have put the kids to bed and the kids don't want to go to bed until 10 or 11 o'clock or whatever. So they throw in temper tantrums long enough. And finally, the parents just give in and they say, we don't want to deal with temper tantrums. Fine. You just stay up till 11 o'clock if that's what you want. I don't know that that's necessarily the right answer. And I don't know that I'm obviously I don't want to defend a lot of the behavior that Donald Trump espouses or tweets or anything. But I feel like a lot of that has come out from, you know, the radical left. We have Antifa people or whatever. I don't know that I'm going to blame Donald Trump for that. I'll agree with you that I think we need a more normal sense of politics. It needs to stop being about just the, oh, you've got an R by your name. You must be anti-gay. You must be anti-women. You must be anti-education. And you just get painted as that instead of being able to actually engage in, in an issue. But I would say the left is equally, if not more so, is culpable for well, creating that atmosphere. So here here in Oregon, I would I would agree with you. I think that the fact that we're on 90 plus days of riots in downtown Portland is 100% at the feet of Kate Brown and Ted Wheeler, all Democrats. They, they are the ones who have allowed this to go on and refuse to do anything about it. And, you know, it's all, it's 30 years of Democrat control and they claim to care about black people and yet these things still happen. Well, what have you been doing for the last 30 years, Democrats? You know, now you care. Now you want to do something about it. Now you're going to tear down the city. I, I would agree with you that in Oregon, the Democrats aren't much better. I don't, um, I wonder if some of that would not go away with a Biden presidency nationally. Well, I think, I think it certainly would, but I think that's because Republicans are adults. <laughs> we can, we can take an L and not go crying to mama about it. And I don't think the Democrats can do that very well. Uh, Representative Post, you'd mentioned a second ago that you don't necessarily need a, a, a an elder statesman or a, a you know an academic elitist or something in a leadership role. You're fine with Donald Trump being more crass and speaking off the cuff and combative than you know maybe you know certainly his predecessor was in that office. But I think one of the and there were myriad, but one of the biggest failures of the Obama presidency was. He did absolutely nothing in the way of building the party. It was all the Obama machine all the time. And under his watch, there were something like 900 plus state house and state Senate seats that switched from Democrat to Republican. And the result was in 2016, there was Hillary Clinton and absolutely nobody. There were no other credible candidates who were running for president because Barack Obama hadn't built up the party. And I do feel now, obviously, Donald Trump is not academic statesman pontificating, whatever. But he's also, I don't think, doing anything at all to build up the party. I think 
the whack job, you know, crazy people Republicans are always going to get elected because they have very far right districts. Moderate people have a really hard time. There's no growth. And he has overseen the changing of Congress from Republican to Democrat hands. We have 53, call it 54 seats after Doug Jones loses in the Senate right now. But there's a very real possibility that he loses the Senate. And I'd, I'd be curious for your thoughts. Do you think it's worth it to maintain the presidency if you lose so many down ballot races and in a sense kind of poison the well for uh, one or two or three cycles to come when there's just not enough Republicans who can really mount a run? I think you have made perfect sense in a normal year. I don't think this is going to be a normal year. I, I'm back to my bet. <laughs> um, <clears throat> how much? How much are you putting on this? Five bucks. I'll do five bucks. Okay, five. Five. All right. All right. Not here's my prediction for 2020. I think you're 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 right. Again, in a normal year. Okay. And 2018 was a a normal year, a normal mid year midterm for a president. I think 2020. This is just Bill's gut. Bill's gut based on things and reading some numbers and doing some things. Uh, I think that Trump is going to win very big. I think that the House and the Senate are going to be retaken by the Republicans and held. And in Oregon, I don't call it a red wave, even close. I call it a red creek. There's going to be a little hmm. creek run into Oregon. And we're going to win some House seats, and we're going to win one Senate seat, and we're going to win the Secretary of State seat. And that's going to be the little red creek that makes the most important election ever which is November 2020, so important. People are forgetting. So so you got to remember, I'm always going to come back to Oregon. I don't mm -hmm. talk about national stuff very often because I mm -hmm. don't really care. I care about Oregon because this is where I work, this is where I live, and this is where my taxes get taken from me, mm -hmm. is Oregon. The 2021 redistricting is mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Nothing else matters. If we don't win House and Senate seats in 2020, we won't be here in 2022. Mm -hmm. Now, Representative Drazen and I have actually disagreed on this. She has a plan to win seats in 22, 24, 26. And I said that we won't be here. If we don't win seats in 2020, we will not be here. They will redistrict out us out. Yeah. Absolutely. There'll mm -hmm. be nine seats left. I'll never forget Democrat Brent Barton sat me down in 2016 after he was getting ready to retire. And he said, Bill, you guys will have nine seats in 2021. And he told me exactly which ones. Mm -hmm. He said, that's their plan. Now, I'm not going to be in there, but that's the plan. And he has been right on so far, everything that he told me. People need to understand that's all that matters. Donald Trump needs to win. Yes, as far as I'm concerned. But if I'm an Oregonian, that's not the most important. Kim Thatcher winning is number one. House seats and Senate seats is number one A. I was real disappointed when uh, IP57, the redistricting, yeah. independent redistricting failed. We had on the uh, chief petitioner on the on this podcast and uh, – this is way back before it got all all the news, and uh, yeah, we have we. I, I speak for Nick, I guess, and <laughs> saying that we were we were fans of it from the beginning. Yeah, but I was too. Um, yeah, but yeah. Now it, it looks like that's after our Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum appealed to as, who's it Kagan on the Supreme Court, yeah. and now it looks like that's that's the only way to ensure any kind of fairness in the redistricting process is to have Kim Thatcher win. And I, I'm right there with you and saying that's, that is the number one, one, a one B one C everything. That is the absolute most important election that we've got coming up in this is August three months. I don't think people understand the process and, and in so many ways that it it's all on the line in November of 2024, Oregon. This is our last stand. This is it. I'm, I am telling you right now, if we don't win in 2020, some major seats in Oregon, we're done. 
So I guess let me ask, what is the, uh, you know, as, as an elected official, you're, you know, you know how to campaign, you know how to put a message together, you know how to get out the vote. What is, what should we and what should our listeners, those of, those of whom are identify as Republicans, which I, maybe that's all of them, like, we'll see, uh, or those who just want good governance. What can we be doing to, to get people to care about a secretary of state's race when there's so much other political stuff that's competing for our attention? I, namely Donald Trump. Um, I, again, I would just explain as simply and carefully as possible redistricting. The lines are going to be drawn for the House seats, the Senate seats, and the congressional seats. Oregon will probably get a sixth congressional seat. Where will it be? Will it be a Republican seat? Will it be the fifth uh, Democrat seat? Um, and then just balance, 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 balance. I ask people all the time, can you remember back to 2011 and 2012 when there was 30-30 in the House? Do you know how many bills there were? About 800. Do you know how many there are every year now? About 4,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. They had, they couldn't come with right wing stuff and they couldn't come with left wing stuff. You couldn't get it across the table because the co-speakers would just reject it. Mm-hmm. We need co-governance in this state. And I'm telling you, if I could wave my magic wand and Republicans won 3129, I would shock the Republicans by saying, why don't we make co-chairs of each hmm. committee? Why don't we have co-co-vice chairs? Why, why don't we co-things a little more? Mm-hmm. And that's coming from right wing Bill Post. Because I've seen the mess that this place is. And I also know Republican history. And Republican history is if we get in charge, wait till we get back at them. <laughs> and I tell my caucus every month, guys, if we do that, we're as big a jerks as they ever uh, were and maybe bigger. Yeah. I got an interesting story. And I think I've said it on the pod before. But talking about the redis or the uh, not the redistricting, but the the walkout from last, yeah. the, the long session um, and the short session. There's both of them. Anyway, whenever I bring that up with my Democrat friends, uh, I always point out, you know, they, they're always furious at Republicans for dereliction of duty or whatever. And Representative Drazen on the last episode gave a really good description from her point of view of why that was and the abusive power that was going on by the Democrats. I always like to point out Kate Brown was president of the Senate when they all walked out. <laughs> 1995. Yep. Well, it was, it was, uh, wasn't it 2000? It was over, oh, redi- yeah, it was yeah, over yeah, redi- yeah. redistricting. 2001. Yeah, it was yep. over, redic- over redistricting. Yep. And that's why I was bringing it up because in like the informed people that I speak to or say, well, you know, you guys just wanted to do this to protect yourselves. But in 2000, it was about, or is that redistricting? It was about the people. It was about whatever. And I believe it was a Republican, Republican majority at the time. So the Republicans had drawn the lines, but it was a Democrat. Secretary of State, yes. but they—that was the year that everything changed. They—they they really redrew the lines mm-hmm. in 2001, and so if the legislature can't come to an agreement, it gets kicked to the Secretary of State mm-hmm. to re- basically draw the lines. And so the Republican majority, you know, they're not going to come up with something that is completely out of the realm of possibility, like that is hugely to Republicans' favor because they know that they need to get some people on on the on the left to agree to it otherwise gets kicked to the democrats and democrats get to draw the lines so what the democrats or the what the republicans put up and i don't know what that was it was 20 years ago had to be somewhat moderate then the democrats walked out and what was the result of that it got kicked to the secretary of state Mm -hmm. secretary of state drew the lines and we have been in decline ever since in 2011 the lines were very very not changed much at all. No. Um, the big change was in 2000. And so 
to talk about the walkout and to say that, you know, Republicans were wrong, but Democrats were right is just complete doublespeak and completely misunderstanding exactly what was going on and how the Democrats essentially just stole the ability to redraw those lines in 2001 and again, issued in 20 years of Democratic control, nearly 20 years, because I I think that it's been 16 years since we've held a, a chamber of well, I mean, 2010 20, was the yeah. 2010 was 30-30. Yeah. Okay. So 2011 so. and 2012 sessions were the last time it was co. Yeah. In the House. But we haven't been majority in one of the, in one of the houses since some time. 2007, I believe. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. You know, and look, and, and when it comes to the walkout, you know, it's my favorite thing to tell people because I, I, I have Democrats in my own district that say, you know, how dare you walked out and you dereliction of duty, like you said, and you didn't do your job. And I said, really, I actually got more work done down in my hotel in <laughs> Vegas where I was <laughs> than I would have gotten done here because people were driving me nuts wanting me to vote for cap and trade. So anyway, no, um, my, the big, the big truth is we saved Oregon $1.2 billion. And then coronavirus hit. Yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> what would have <laughs> been happening right now. Because I was in a Portland Business Alliance meeting with Governor Brown. And PBA asked specifically out loud on the call, please hold off on the cat tax. Like, we, the coronavirus is going to destroy us. We can't handle another tax. And she said no. And the next question, they asked it again. They asked it two times in public, please postpone the cat tax for another for a quarter for two quarters and she said she said no again i can't imagine what a cap and trade would have done she would have like she would have stuck to it and we would have been paying for that and this impending disaster of an economy that's only just getting started would have been who knows how much worse exponentially worse so absolutely and and you know uh, remember she's the one when we came back and we came back on the last day of session. We could have come in here and done the budgets and got them mm-hmm. done. Yep. We could have done that. We offered to do that. They said no. They left the building. They actually left the building. People forget about that. On that last Sunday, they left the building. We were here. Okay. And Governor Brown made her famous statement about revenge is a dish best cold served cold and long, whatever it was. I don't know if she thinks she's Worf from Star Trek or what. But anyway. <laughs> um, she has exacted that revenge, and she is doing it right now. Today, today, I reported on my Facebook page today that the uh, the, the health licensing office has put out new rules for hair salons. Mm-hmm. You have to go mm-hmm. read that. It's incredible. Yep. That, that is her revenge. We're going to pay you people back. And don't forget, there's going to be a third special session coming up in September. They keep threatening that. A third special mm-hmm. session has nothing to do with budgets. It's going to be all the crap that we avoided by the walkout and they're going to get it all. And we can't walk out this time. Yeah. Cause there's no, there's no constitutional there's no end. end date for a yeah. special session. And, and I know I have hard right. People are saying, why not? Why wouldn't you walk out? Would you like us to win some seats or not? Yeah. Or would you like it to stay the Cause same? You, Cause you can't, yeah. campaign. can't you, campaign. You can't show up. You can't go nope. do, you can't fundraise. You can't do anything. And in the house, we can't fundraise. We literally cannot. Senate can, but the house can't. Yeah. Mm. That's crazy. A lot of people don't know that, but yeah, when when we're in session, the senators can raise money. Hmm. The House can't. That's that's a strange. Yeah, it yeah. never makes sense to me. Well, we are coming up real close on time. Uh, so before we we quit our episodes, we like to ask our guests, um, "Who is your favorite Republican?" Okay, and so look, looking uh, on the wall behind I <laughs> you, I might be able to guess. Of all time, it's Ronald Reagan. Okay, but let's let's currently, um, 
you know, outside of myself. Um, <laughs> Second favorite Republican. <laughs> my second, okay, thank you for giving me that out. Um, my second favorite Republican is probably, you know, of all people, th- this guy, he just, I get excited when I think about him and I, I wish he could do it again. Alan Alley. Mm. If you're talking Oregon Republican. Sure. Yeah. Um, nationally, it, it would probably be a, a Ted Cruz or something like that. But in Oregon, I, I love Alan Alley. He's a good close friend of mine, a dear friend. And he's the kind of guy that could do what we talked about earlier. Do much more than the 50% plus one. Mm-hmm. Um, although in Oregon, I don't know that that's even possible. Can we even get to 50, much less? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 50% plus one. That's a, that's that's a solid pick. Good uh, we, answer. we both know Alan well, and yep. he's definitely... Um, yeah, I hope he runs for something again in the future. <laughs> well, I think I really he's burned do. out on. I think he's had. I, his I film. can't say that I'd blame him. And yeah. he's, you know, he's been so successful in his in his business yes. career. Uh, yeah, it's like I just, you know, go to go play golf and eat Taco Bell all the time and you know, do the yeah, things that you absolutely. love. You know who uh, a name that we have never heard when we asked that question? Donald Trump. We've never had a guest say Donald Trump is their favorite Republican. You know, just just throwing that out there in okay. case you were a little well, little food for thought for your uh, for your mental calculus. I'll break it now. I mean, you guys, you guys can use this or not. You you um, must have assumed that everybody says that. That's why you went Ted Cruz and Alan Alley. I no, guess. no, I no, I didn't. I didn't. I, I but I mean, he's not my favorite Republican. My favorite no, Republican I'm, is I'm Ronald just, Reagan. I'm, I just I'm, there's no way around it. Um, but tell you what, if you guys can talk me into it, uh, I'm going to run for governor in 2022, um, and I'm. I'm not totally straight just yet. <laughs> but you never you know. You heard it here, here first. You I was going to say, yeah, we just broke some news. You never know. But yeah. here's the thing. I think what Donald Trump has done for a guy like me is shown how you can do it. And I think that this state is ready for a person who gets up and just says, I don't give a flying crap. I'm going to just say what's true. Well, Mr. Make Oregon Great Again didn't do very well. He was obnoxious. There's a difference. Mm. Being obno- Look, Donald Trump is skilled at what he does. He's very good at insulting you. He knows how to do it very intelligently and very well. That guy couldn't do it. He he tried to be Donald Trump and you yeah. can't be Donald Trump spent Donald 60 years being Donald Trump. Yeah. You can't become Donald Trump. I don't want to become Donald Trump, but I want to be Bill Post, the radio guy running for office again. Well, and hey, they, you know, Regus Maximus was the great communicator. I Donald Trump had a media empire. Yep. He knew how to get the CNN and everybody to talk about him, and if there's somebody you can do it in Oregon, might be a guy who uh, was a radio person for 4 yeah. years. I know you run out of time, but a quick story. So, That's 2018 great. when the debate was going on between Newt and Kate. Mm-hmm. And it was that first one where the kids were asking questions. Yep. Remember that how painful that was? Yep. There was a moment when my I jumped up and my wife was like, "What is your problem?" You remember there was a girl who was trying to read a big word that there, somebody had written for her. There was no way hers. she knew what yeah. this was. You know, she had no idea. And both Kate and Newt just sat there and smiled politely at her while she was stumbling over the words. And I said to my wife, myself, I would have undone my microphone, walked down, kneeled down to her and said, honey, what, what do you really care about? What really bothers you? School? Put that away. That's what your teacher wrote. What do you <laughs> care about? And you know what happened? The KGW cameras would have went, jerking around. What, yeah. What's he doing? And the anchor would have gone, what's he, he's, what is he doing? What is he doing? What's he doing? And everybody in Oregon would have went, I like that. Mm-hmm. He actually wants to know what the kid cares about. Yeah. Exactly. Which is what I wanted to know. Yeah. Not what their, the union wrote or it just, anyway, to me, that was a moment. That could have been the defining moment of the entire campaign. And both Newt and Kate missed it. They don't have that. Neither one of them have the ability to turn on a dime. I've been in radio 40 years. 
when you yeah. the microphone cut out, I had to know what to do yeah. right now. <laughs> yep. No politician knows how to do that. None. None know how to do that. Politicians. Uh, what, did I, what was I supposed to say? What, what? Find a consultant. Find exactly. Chief of staff, we got to pull that. Manager, make sure it's yeah. right. Yeah. Nope. I just do what comes to my head and do it. There Interesting. it is. Governor Post. Yeah. Coming your way. Or twenty two years. <laughs> never know. You never know. We should be so Post. lucky. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And listeners, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.